Kia ora. Welcome to Aotearoa in Focus. Ko Armstrong toko ingoa. There's a place for Chris Finlayson in my heart. Not because I agree with him on everything, but because he just does what he's passionate about. From his time in Parliament to fighting for Naitahu, Chris has had an interesting career. That's why we caught up at the beginning of the week for a quick chat, mainly about the treaty process, though I've got to be honest, this was the first post-concussion interview I've done, so apologies for the rustiness. I promise I might get better at interviewing. But seriously, please enjoy this chat, because this is Aotearoa in focus, and this is former Minister Christopher Finlayson. Well, in the 1960s, I remember watching uh, television programs like Perry Mason and others uh, and enjoyed uh, the courtroom dramas. And um, I suppose that was the uh, the spark that ignited the great interest in law. So um, uh, then I had a great interest in New Zealand history and in history generally. So I suppose that was an, another contributing factor. But I'm, looking back now, I'm sure it was that it was those uh, television programs in the 1960s, the courtroom dramas, that interested me. And uh, when you actually entered the law, was it anything like those TV shows? Uh, no, of course not. Um, I <laughs> uh, completed my law degree. And then I joined a firm called Brandon's, which is actually the oldest law firm in the country. It's situated next door to St. Andrew's on the terrace. And Brandon's had a very extensive public law practice. It acted for local authorities like the Kapiti uh, District Council, the Horofanua District Council, Porirua City Council, the old Hutt County Council. It also had an extensive banking law practice, uh, through having acted for the then Bank of New South Wales from time immemorial and also the former National Bank. So it had a good banking and public law practice. And um, so I got my schooling uh, in those areas and gradually started to do more and more litigation. And at what point did you first began, you became connected to or, or even interested um, with treaty settlements and the likes of Naitahu? Oh, that was about a decade later when I was a partner in Bell Gully. I had transferred from Brandon's to Bell Gully in 1990, uh, and I was um, introduced to uh, Tipani O'Regan and started to do some work for the Fisheries Commission. There'd been the settlement in 1992, and there was a uh, debate about allocation principles, should allocation be done on the basis of population or coastline. And the commission worked many years to work out a, uh, a compromise approach. And then also I became involved in various aspects of the Naitahu claim against the Crown, and that in turn led to cases like the Whale Watch case where uh, Whale Watch Kaikoura, a wholly owned subsidiary of Naitahu, challenged the Crown in relation to whaling permits for those operations off the Kaikoura coast. And how many years did you end up working with Naitahu? I would have worked for them from about 1993 
through to 2005 when I went into Parliament as a List MP. So you you were working with them for about 12 years. Uh, How long have Naitahu been fighting for their their rights and, and recognition? Oh, their claim goes right back to early colonial times. And the old Naitahu Maori Trust Board never had much money, but they always put money aside for the claim. So the answer to that would be well over 100 years. Well, frankly, most Pākehā people don't understand how a settlement claim goes. It's As you've just highlighted, it's theirs was over a 100-year journey. For a lawyer, how does the process go? Um, I presume you spend a whole heap of time collecting research and, and resources and slowly going through the system. Well, I, I'll answer that question from the point of view of a former minister, because mm. what happens is that uh, some people make a claim to the tribunal. The tribunal then, in the fullness of time, issues a report, and that report then forms the basis for negotiations between the Crown and the settling iwi or hapu. And terms of negotiation are drawn up, and then a negotiation takes place And that will involve numerous components, including financial and cultural redress. And um, the particular points that are highlighted by the tribunal as acts or omissions by the Crown form the focal point of discussion about um, an acknowledgement of historical facts and an apology. Sometimes the settling group won't wait for the tribunal report and will enter into direct negotiations because they think that the tribunal process is too slow. So there are various options available to people um, to choose. Interesting. And uh, you entered Parliament in 2005. and 2008, uh, you uh, entered uh, government uh, with National. Uh, What was it like to suddenly go from one side of the table to the other when it came to these negotiations? Well, I could never, I had to very early in my time as a minister, um, there's a register of conflicts of interest. So I was never involved in anything of or concerning Naitahu because of my prior engagement as their lawyer. In terms of methodology or in terms of approach um yeah I, I became a servant of the crown and was anxious as a minister to do the right thing by the crown and also the right thing by iwi in order to secure just and uh, durable settlements and so the transition wasn't that vis- uh, wasn't that large i have to tell you okay and Uh, When you were stepping into the role as minister, uh, what type of uh, treaty settlements environment were you encountering, you know, sort of late aughts? Um, I believe it would have been Michael Cullen, um, who was the minister before you for it. Yes, well, there had been a period where the previous Clark government had not done a great deal. And then Michael Cullen started a number of 
settlement negotiations. Um, one up your way was, of course, the Waikato River. He had settled Waikato Tainui, but there also needed to be negotiations with Tiarawa, with Tuwharitoa, uh, and with Rokawa, and then also because the Waipa, as you know, flows into the Waikato, uh, one needed to have discussions with Nati Maniapoto. So that meant that um, you couldn't have individual river boards up and down the river because that wouldn't make sense. So we had to streamline the um, approach that was going to be taken to treaty settlement. So that was the first piece of work. The second piece of work was to uh, continue what he had started in relation to the northern South Island iwi, the Titauihu groups, and uh, he had got to almost uh, an agreement in principle. I had to deal with uh, those matters through to agreement in principle and then move to sign up individual deeds of settlement with the various iwi, and some of the issues up there were rather complex because you had the Ngāti Toa Rangatira uh, iwi with its claims over the northern South Island. You also had the group called the Tainui Taranaki who had um, uh, come south from Taranaki and then you had the Kuruhaupo iwi who, had, who were, if you like, the original iwi of the area. So there were overlapping claims and tensions there. And when you're negotiating these and, and going through the process, it's, it's not just uh, you and a tribal leader you know, sitting down and having a natter over a coffee and working things out. There's, there's so many uh, parts and people behind it. Can you give a sense, a sense of the scale? You know, how many people, how many working parts are behind all this? Well, take um, any settlement. There will be um, people within the Office of Treaty Settlements who will be working on a particular negotiation uh, and they will need to focus on uh, what is the quantum going to be? And then the minister comes in to have those negotiations, particularly at a later stage. Then there will be discussions um, about rights of first refusal over surplus crown property uh, and what properties will be in, uh, could be included in a deferred selection process. Uh, then there will be discussions between iwi and crown historians on the the background facts and any apologies and concessions that need to be given. And then finally, there will need to be discussions uh, on matters of cultural redress that necessarily will involve other government departments as well. So if, for example, some land is sought to be returned and it is um, at the time of the settlement administered by the Department of Conservation, obviously there will need to be discussions with DOC as well. Uh, in, so the point in, is, it's a, whole of, it's a whole of government approach. So you've got your, your small team operating out of the Office of Treaty Settlements or Te Arafiti, and you've also got um, other departments, SOEs that may be involved, like for Landcorp Farms. Mm. So it becomes, um, it's not just simply the, uh, the people who are directly responsible to me. Interesting. Uh, and over, you t over your time as minister, 
uh, you, you, you seem to have gotten, you know, around 60 or 60 plus uh, settlements across the line. And, you know, this isn't to uh, prod your ego, but you helped lay the bedwork for changing this country, um, you know, in, in various pockets around the place. That's awesome. Um, is there a particular settlement uh, that stands out to you, whether it was real tough or you were, you know, you're just so chuffed that it, 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 it finally got across the line? And uh, No, because every settlement is different. Every settlement is sui generis, dealing with particular issues and particular challenges. So there's no hierarchy of them. Um, after my time in politics has been over, I've, I've certainly spent a bit of time talking about the Naita, uh, the uh, the Tuhoi settlement and the Wanganui River settlement because of the unique features of them and because both those settlements have um, been the subject of quite a lot of discussion and interest overseas. There will be some people that, that don't know um, the, the stories between behind those examples. Um, could you just give us a sense of what has happened for the Whanganui River? There was, that was a very long-standing negotiation. Um, and the, uh, you, I talked about the Naitahu claim going back 100 years. Certainly that was also the case with the Whanganui River. The people of Whanganui had been asserting their claims in various courts and tribunals for well over a century and also had been petitioning Parliament. Their complaints were that they had lived alongside that river for many, many, many generations and had watched its degradation, their eel wares destroyed. Um, a paddle steamer used to go up the river and cause damage. Um, there were farming practices that caused damage. And then in the 1960s, of course, there was the TPD, or Tongariro Power Development, that caused a lot of water to be diverted from flowing down the Wanganui River to basically being turned north. And so there were these grievances that they had been attempting to deal with. They had their claim in the tribunal, uh, and the tribunal report um, pointed out the, the history of the matter. And the discussions that took place were not going to be satisfied by the payment of compensation. They wanted to see their precious river protected from the environmental degradation that had gone on for many years. And that is where we had to work out a formula for how we were to treat the river and uh, address the um, aspirations of the Wanganui River iwi um, and at the same time recognise that the river is enjoyed by a multitude of people now. And so what we did was give the river its own special status, vested it in itself uh, as, a, as a whole, uh, and it is represented by uh, two people, one of whom is appointed by the Crown, the other one is appointed by the people of Wanganui. That, that's, that's fascinating and, and, and frankly beautiful. Um, when a settlement passes and and there's the signing ceremony and stuff like that, what what's the emotion on the ground? What what's the feeling? What do you feel in that in those moments? Oh, it can be a very intense feeling. I remember one day I was giving um, my address at Naitu Manuhiri, 
and um, it's just south of Gisborne. And I remember saying to Tariana Turio that people, it was a very eerie feeling. And uh, she said, no, but so many people were weeping. So they can be very emotional events. And um, uh, when you are apologizing for the crown, as I did, for example, at Parihaka, you are certainly aware of the historical nature of what is happening. And that, of course, I had nothing to do with any of these matters, but I am the face of the crown at that time. Having researched you in preparation for all this, um, one thing pops out. Are you still annoyed about Landcorp? Is Is that still a bugbear? (laughs) Ah, well, I just thought that they were not particularly helpful at the time of negotiations. Um, And they would say, well, yes, a farm is available, but it has to be available at a certain price, and their prices always seem to be inflated. They never really bought into um, the importance of treaty settlements from a whole-of-government approach. Was I annoyed at them? Um, I just feel that I, I can't see why... Uh, we need to have an SOE like Landcorp. It was supposed to be a land banking operation. Uh, and the idea of a government sort of running a whole lot of farms seems to me an, an absurd proposition. If I had my way, all the farms would be uh, simply offered to um, iwi and failing that put on the market and flogged off. There seems to be... Uh, some fluctuations regionally and depending on the departments or, you know, SOEs and, and so on or local authorities about what happens with land, uh, you know, that, that has been taken under the Public Works Act or some variation. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and instead of um, the automatic thing being, well, we'll just give it back or, you know, some equivalent, uh, it doesn't enter into the minds of officials into, until it's raised. Why does there seem to be such a such a variation um, between, you know, well, I suppose that whole of government approach and um, those, those, those variations that, that cause harm? Well, I don't know that there are necessarily um, regional variations. The Crown has taken a lot of land over the years under the Public Works Act, and um, maybe mistakes have been made, um, and I can think of them in relation to uh, roading. It was always a situation in my experience where if it was a choice between Maori land being taken or Pākehā land um, for a road, it was always Maori land that was taken. And then there were you, you talk about the issues of returning when it's no longer uh, necessary for a particular public work. Um, I think the mechanisms under the Public Works Act have never worked particularly well. Interesting. Um, I, I put it out to a couple of colleagues and friends because um, I thought you're a pretty awesome person and um, have a lot of insight. And I got a couple of questions back. Uh, so uh, I've got a question for you. So what's more important now, completing the remaining settlements with Iwi or ensuring that the existing settlements are honoured? What are the risks in each? Well, I think <coughs> they're not either or, really. Um, we do need to um, to conclude uh, just and durable settlements. But the, the, the thing that has worried me for some years 
which is why the um, the commitments unit was set up is that the Crown has to honour the commitments. And I suppose the flaw in the thinking in that question emerges with the, the use of the word completed because treaty settlements are actually never completed. The a treaty settlement when signed, it's not a commercial deal, so that it's never done and dusted. It gives rise to a number of obligations which are on the Crown forever. And my worry is always that the, the if you like, the non-political state, the institutional state continues on long after ministers have moved on or up or out or whatever. And those commitments are often uh, forgotten about or ignored. And so that runs the risk about durability of settlements. So I never really worry about the political state. I do worry about the institutional state and the ability of people in years to come to be aware of and honour those commitments. And in my opinion, it's not enough for government departments to uh you know put on kai for a for a meal and sing a waiata and have a nice pretty little mihi um that's all the sort of superficial stuff they've got to understand what the, the commitments on the crown are and honor them interesting that question uh, that came from former mp and former group manager at te uru taumata tim barnett Long after we're gone, in a, in a hundred years' time, in what twenty one twenty two, um, what do you think the state of uh, Iwi Crown relations and settlements will be? Well, hopefully, the Crown will have honoured the settlements. Otherwise, we'll be debating these issues again in fifty years' time. Um, and I think that well, what I what I think and what I hope could be two different things. What I hope is that there's a greater understanding of the contribution to be made by iwi in many areas of uh, administration. I think that there is a tendency in this country to believe that, you know, the Crown uh, has to be all-powerful in order to get things done, whereas I believe that government can be the problem rather than can help solve the problem. And so I think there's a lot to be said for devolution of power and sharing of power and in areas where iwi have a particular interest, then I have no problem at all about them having a say uh, in policy formation and in a particular outcome. And that was certainly the approach I adopt, adopted co-governance of natural resources, but it's not necessarily limited to natural resources. There may be other areas of activity as well. Uh, so uh, you were in Parliament for what, 12, 13 years? Um, yes. 13, 14. There's been a, 
a lot of focus over the years about the culture in Parliament, especially in recent years, bullying and, and harassment and so on. Um, out of curiosity, uh, how over the sort of over a decade did you see the culture of Parliament change, or maybe didn't? Well, Parliament is adversarial, and members of Parliament all work under differing levels of pressure. And sometimes members of parliament are not particularly good at handling pressure and they may take it out on their staff or whatever. So I guess um, these things are always there. And did I notice things declining in the time I was there? Not necessarily, I have to say. I'd, I was just a, a, aware of the pressures on people and um, I, I guess I went in there to do particular jobs and so I wasn't all that interested in sort of buying into the the culture of the place and because I never thought I was going to be there for all that long. I wanted to do a few things and then get out. Um, maybe the problem is that those who th who want to make it a, um, a lifetime um, pursuit, they're the ones who uh, cause a few problems. Uh, you weren't just the minister in charge of settlements. Um, you had, you know, you looked after the SIS and GCSB, and you're obviously a big arts and culture fan, and obviously the minister in charge for it at one point. Um, uh, this is another uh, uh, friend friendly question from someone else. You're well known for your love of the arts. What work did you do in, at Parliament to ensure various works were displayed? I was briefly, uh, when I was in opposition, on the art committee that I think was chaired by Stevie Chadwick, who was the former member for Rotorua, now mayor of Rotorua. And in actual fact, the Minister for the Arts doesn't have anything to do uh, with art and parliament. It's um, superintended by an art committee. And I don't know who chairs it at the present time. Steve did a very good job. And there have been others since. And um, I think that that committee makes a decision about uh, works that are purchased and so on. And that question came from Nikki Kay. Oh, okay. Um, this is a this is a genuine question from me. Um, when I'm back in Wellington, uh, can I get an art tour like you gave to the Herald? Um, well, the answer is uh, uh, probably <laughs> not because um, I don't have right of access throughout the building now. Uh, because um, I'm, um, those days are over. So you'd need to get an art tour from a current MP. That's right. It was worth a shot. Um, <laughs> uh, on the subject of art, uh, is there a piece of public art that you really love when, you know, um, when you're traveling around Wellington or you're traveling around the country? Is, is there a piece you just love to see? A piece of public art, a sculpture. I don't think I could give an impromptu answer on that one. Oh, okay. I worked for the um, Waikato Museum for a couple of years. Oh, yeah. uh, so we had uh, Tongue of the Dog, um, I think, by Michael Parikofi. Um So seeing that every day was a joy.
called the Wan down by the water. Um, Lane Lai Centre in New Plymouth, Andrew Patterson's creation, which is one of the greatest buildings, I think, in the country. It's a beautiful piece of art on its own. Uh, effectively, uh, it's been about three years, or three, three and a half years since you left Parliament. Um, how are you? I, is, is life better? Is it more relaxed? Um, I wish I could ask something hard-hitting, but I just want to know how you are. Oh, I'm just uh, drifting on through life, and um, uh, I've written my book on treaty settlements, so I've got another book which is coming out which tends to focus on the other portfolios, particularly that of Attorney General, and so one moves on, um, and um, unlike Lot's wife, you never look back, not that I would be fearful of being turned into a pillar of salt, but um, (laughs) I've I've done my thing, and I'm happily... um, and moving on and, and moving into other areas. So um, that's the way it is. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Christopher Finlayson. Nice to talk to you. Take care. Cheers, Chris. I didn't understand all the big words, but love the honesty and understanding. Furthermore, there was one area I mainly avoided asking about, which was co-governance. Because a couple days before recording this, Chris wrote a great piece on Etangata about the subject. I'll link that in the bio and you can check it out there. The next episode will be out as soon as I make it. So instead of waiting with bated breath, you can hit subscribe now wherever you're listening to this. And the next episode will be delivered straight to you when it's released. So, on that note, thanks for listening. Cheers. Arirah.